God is good. I, I heard about a man who was dying, and he said to his wife, Now, honey, I, I, I've just got a few months to live, but I, I want you to know I'd be honored if you met a man and remarried. And I want you to know the house is paid for. You don't have to feel uncomfortable moving him in here. Just go ahead. I'll be happy for you. In fact, he can even use my golf club. She said, No, that won't work. He's left handed. Oh, God is good. We're looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through uh, 47 today. The first church revival. Now, we know the greatest revival of all time was in Jonah's day, but we don't call that a church revival. The church hadn't been established yet. Luke is a Greek. Of course, we use the word Gentile for all non-Jews, but he was specifically from Greece a medical doctor and a great traveling companion of Paul's. And he's writing this after he had witnessed Peter's preaching here. Uh, I don't know when Paul was, uh, when uh, Luke was saved, but he writes about this great event, how the Holy Spirit had come and empowered the church and just great stuff. And remember, this is a transition time. The church uh, would, would still be uh, in its early stages. In fact, we find in the end of the book of Acts, they're still going to the temple, and that's 50 AD. So they're still going to the temple and the synagogue for many years after the church is established. That transition would last until the apostles were gone, the scriptures were completed, and we see all these things going on during the transition. The apostles still doing great miracles, and thank God for this time. We're going to read verses 37 and 38. Stand with me if you have that. Remember in chapter 2, verse 23, it said, God in his foreknowledge sent Jesus. You know, before the world even began, God knew he'd have to send Jesus to pay for sin. In his foreknowledge, that word's translated predestined. It means to know before. God knew you'd be born. He knew you'd be a sinner. He knew you'd need Jesus. Thank God for his foreknowledge. But look at verse 37 as we read together. It says here, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Bless us, Lord, as we take a look in your book for a walk in an evil world. Lord, I wish you'd come today. I'm ready, Lord. I, I, I hope everyone here is ready. But we're tired of this pilgrimage, and we'd love you to come and just take the church out. But Lord, if you have plans for us, help us to be obedient to your plan, to reach the world, to live for you. Lord, we ask you to bless this hour. We thank you for Sunday night service. I still hadn't got over the good time we had Sunday night. And, and for the good time Wednesday night, as we heard from our teens, now, Lord, we worship you today. We ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Here it says they were pricked in their hearts. Now, when you read words and you go back to your concordances, maybe your strongs, and you try and figure out what the Greek word is, and you do that. Of course, I do that and spend hours doing that. You'd find that this word originally was used uh, as, as poking someone with a sharp instrument. That's how the word originated. And here it's used in, in, in translated conviction. It's a metaphor, uh, which means to be convicted, a pierced heart. And so they were convicted here. What convicted them? Well, the word never returns void. 
Paul said in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick. And that's a, a Greek word means alive, living. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So when they preached, this really pricked their hearts. They were convicted. Then notice the last part of verse 37. They were convinced. They said, what shall we do? What do we do? They were under conviction. They wanted to know what to do. Love that phrase. Several times we find that. Remember Paul on the Damascus Road? Lord, what would thou have me to do? Remember the jailer? What must I do to be saved? Here they're under conviction. They said, what do we need to do? What do we do? And then we know they're converted. So they're convicted, convinced, and converted in verses 38 and following. Verse 38, here's what he says to do. Repent. Now, there are three Greek words translated repent in your New Testament. The Bible says God repented. Well, we know God's never sinned, so it doesn't mean that he had to admit sin and turn from it, obviously. The word here includes that, but it includes several things. The word means to turn from a life of principles against God. To turn from a life of principles which are against God. A turning. It includes a sorrow for sin. It means to think differently and to have a changed mind. You know, it's amazing what happens to someone when they get saved. My evangelist friend played for Marshall when the plane crashed. His mother told him not to get on the plane. He missed the plane. And he talks about what he was before he was saved. But he said when God saved him, he renewed his mind. And the, and the things that he used to think were okay, all of a sudden he realized they were wrong. Well, you take someone who believes the things of the world, uh, whatever they are, whether they're abortion or gay marriage or all this, when they are truly saved, what happens to the thoughts? The renewed mind, they think differently, don't they? And so here, it includes a renewed mind to think differently. And here the word repent in the grammar, the original, is a direct command or an imperative. In other words, he's not giving them a choice. He's not saying, would you like to repent? They said, what do we need to do? He didn't say, well, if you want to, you can repent. No, he said, repent. Like he said to Nicodemus, you, Nicodemus, must be born again. He says, you have no other choice but to repent. And then he says, be baptized, which is an in, in, indirect imperative. And I know that's kind of deep and don't worry about that. But it means a future simple action. So when we are saved, truly born again, when we repent from our sins. Young lady said to me just before coming in church, I want to be baptized. I said, well, tell me why. She said, I've been saved. I said, well, tell me about that. She said, well, I realized as a sinner. I said, that's, that's good. I like that. Because we have to realize what we are and turn from it. Now, you can't turn from sin because you make a choice to. You can't do it without the transforming power of God. The Bible says in Titus, he sends the Holy Spirit in and he regenerates you. He gives you new life. The only way you can repent is if God points out that you're a sinner and gives you the ability to repent of it including the fact that he does the work in your heart. It's not just a decision you make. It's a work he does inside of you. And so we repent, we're baptized, and then the word for the remission of sins, that's translated several ways in your Bible. It's translated unto in 1 Corinthians 10 too, where they're baptized unto Moses. We're not, we're not repenting so that we're not being baptized for salvation. We're baptized because of the fact that we've been saved. 
1 Corinthians 1, 17, put that up there through a Kenneth. It says, Paul says, God didn't send me to baptize, but to preach. In fact, Jesus didn't baptize people, did he? He, he so, so emphasized the, the word of God, the preaching, that he let others do the baptism. Baptism is important. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's vitally important. It's one of the, it's the first command after being saved. You're commanded to repent, and then you're commanded to be baptized. Very important. Uh, and we'll look at several places about baptism. Look at Acts chapter 10, verse 37, for just a moment. 1037. So you understand that baptism today is being added to the local church. We'll see that in our text. But in 1037, it says here, That word I say ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. The baptism which John preached. What was John preaching? That wasn't the church. He was preaching that Jesus Christ was the king. And they needed to accept him and, and accept his kingdom. Matthew's whole gospel is about the kingdom of God. He offered it to the Jews and they rejected him. Look at Acts chapter 19 here for a moment. Mark your Bibles, 3 and 4. 19, 3 and 4. And we'll probably just look at uh, maybe two more verses today outside of uh, uh, Acts. But this is not outside of Acts. But 19, 3 and 4 says here, And he said to them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said unto him, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance. And the Bible says in verse 5, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So, a different baptism. John was baptizing unto the kingdom. But Jesus came, died on the cross. The church is established in the upper room. And now they have to be rebaptized into the church. You see, baptism is a way you identify with the local church. It speaks of death, burial. You go into the water. You don't hold them too long. Get them out. And resurrection. That's what baptism speaks of. So that's why we're baptized, to identify with the cross. Well, Jesus hadn't died when John was preaching. They didn't understand all that. And so now they're going to all be rebaptized and added to the church. And, you know, many in the Bible were declared righteous before being baptized. Of course, the thief on the cross, it's a no-brainer. But think of Zacchaeus. He was said to be righteous. He wasn't baptized yet. Paul, righteous. He wasn't baptized yet. Cornelius, righteous. He wasn't baptized yet. What am I saying? Baptism doesn't make you righteous. God makes you righteous. He places on you, imputes on you his righteousness, takes your sin off you and places it on his shoulders on the cross. Isn't that something? He took your sin and made you righteous. But anyway, we know in the Old Testament, many were declared righteous before circumcision. Circumcision didn't save people either. I love the little poem. There is a fountain filled with water drawn from the city's main, and those that plunge beneath that flood go to hell just the same. <laughs> Baptism's never saved anyone. It doesn't save you. Uh, it's wonderful to identify with the church. True baptism is not the water baptism, but the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 12 says, By one spirit you're all baptized into one body. That's when we're identified with the body of Christ. Do you know you're a brother and sister to people all over this world who are saved? You're part of the family of God by the Holy Spirit. This is the local church 
baptism, which makes you part of our fellowship. Anyway, notice here, he says here uh, in verse 38, repent and be baptized. And he goes on to say, for the remission of sins. The word remission is an interesting word. It, it's translated in your Bible several ways. You'll find it translated forgiveness in Acts uh, 5.39. You can look that up later. It's translated deliverance. It's translated liberty. Uh, I've said this, everyone needs a little R&R. &R. You mean rest and relaxation? No, repentance and remission. If you don't repent, you don't have remission. If you don't repent, you're still a slave to sin. You can't be free in Christ. You can't have liberty without repentance. When you're bound in sin, unless you repent, you're going to go to hell. You don't have remission from sins. And he talks here about the Gentiles. Look at verse 39. For the promise of chapter 2 is unto you and to your children to all that are afar off. Now that doesn't mean physically afar off. Remember in Ephesians, he talked about the Gentiles. He said, you were afar off. Why does he say that about the Gentiles? Now here, remember, these are Jews from all over the world and some, some uh, Jewish converts, that, uh, Gentiles that were converted to Judaism, some proselytes here. So there are Gentiles here, but they're practicing Jews. And they've traveled from all over the world. And he talks about people being afar off. Well, they're right here. What does he mean? Well, remember, the oracles of God, the law was given to the Jews. Jesus Christ was a Jew. Gentiles were not part of the covenant. They're called strangers and aliens. You see, we're not, we weren't part of it until Jesus made a way for us. And then we were grafted in. Grafting, they would take trees that were struggling to bear fruit and they'd take a young tree and take a quarter of the tree out, split it out, and they would cut that same size space in an older tree and they'd put that portion of a tree and they'd bind it up. It's called grafting. And that, that would give that tree new life. Jesus Christ grafted the Gentiles into the church. Amen. He made us all one in Christ. The Gentiles were afar off, aliens and strangers lost. He tells the, the people of Ephesus, you're afar off, but made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. He's always saved people willing to repent, but we were afar off. Then verse 29 or 39, he says, for the promise, the promise is unto you and your children. I love that. God made a way for me. Paul uh, is, 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 is uh, preaching in Ephesus to the Gentiles. Peter here is preaching to, the, to all the people that have come. Now he talks about testifying. Verse 40, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this outward generation. What does that mean? Listen, this world has a grip on you if you don't know Jesus. And the only way you can be saved out of the world is by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we need to be saved from this horrible generation. Look at the generation today. A generation in the Bible can mean 10 years. It can mean 100 years. And uh, it, it varies. It's used different ways in the Bible. But if you just look at our lifetime and look at our country and this world 50 years ago, while well, you wouldn't have thought the things that are happening today. I predicted some of this stuff 40 years ago in my preaching. I, I sometimes have cassette tapes and I listen to myself. Oh, it was some of the worst preaching, but I said some things that were good, you know, and I thought, wow, I actually remember preaching and thinking how the world's going to get worse and worse.
all the stuff that's going on. I, I've said this probably 10 years ago, the next thing for them to push is pedophilia. They're going to say, if a child is 12 or 13 and wants a relationship with an adult, we need to make it legal. That's on the horizon. You don't believe it's going to happen, but you wouldn't have believed all this uh, transvestite and all this other immoral stuff's happening in our world, but it's happened. We need deliverance from this world. Spiritually, at salvation, we get it. One day, we're going to be taken out of here. Our bodies are going to be gone, thank God. But here, he says, verse 41, Then they gladly received his word, were baptized, and the same day they were added unto the church about 3,000 souls. So there you have it. How are they added to the church? Salvation and baptism. Drop down to verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So we're saved and we're baptized. We're added to the church. Do you know counting? They counted. There's scriptures showing they counted church members. They sent letters of recommendation. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 1 referring brethren. We do that in our church. If someone's uh, saved somewhere else and baptized somewhere else and they come here we ask them about their church affiliation and we send and then we get a letter stating, yes, they're saved and baptized. They did that way back then. That's where we got the idea. But uh, notice they continued here in verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. They fellowship, they taught scripture, they prayed, and they took the Lord's Supper. And they continued to do that. They continued to do that. They didn't quit. Sometimes, you know, people get saved and they get baptized and we don't see them again. Years ago, I was fishing uh, up at Nickerjack and my dad came down and we were catching these little silver looking fish. And we, we caught them. We thought, well, are they edible? We don't know, but we put them in a bucket and they would die just about as soon as we got them out of the water. And, and I said, isn't it interesting? Look how quickly they die. And someone came along that knew what they're doing and looked in there, and I'm sure they thought, well, these two knuckleheads don't know what those are. They're shadfish. And I said to the guy, what are these? He said, they're not good eating. Use them for bait. Just throw them up here and let them die. They're not any good. And he said, you notice how quickly they die as soon as you get them out of the water. And I thought, there's a lot of Christians like that. A couple of years ago, I preached a sermon here. You remember that? Ten, ten fish. Remember, we had a series of 10 weeks where we did the flea and the vulture, and we did fish, and we said, one of them's the shad fish. As soon as it comes out of the water, it dies. You know, I'm not saying people lose their salvation, but how many people use Christianity as fire insurance? Well, I'll get saved and baptized, but they don't commit. They don't commit. Here it says they remained here in four things. Fellowship, doctrine, they were steadfast. Took the Lord's Supper, they fellowship, broke bread together. Look at 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19. I actually put it on the screen for me, will you, Kenneth? And I think it's already up there. 1 John 2, 19, you can look up there. And if you can read that little font, I can't, but I know my glasses. 1 John 2, 19 says here, mark this in your Bible. <clears throat> they, went out from, uh, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest and they were not all of us. What's this saying? John's saying not everybody who becomes a part is really a part. Some just leave the faith. They just go out. Uh, I know I've said this before. Billy Graham says probably 50% of people in church aren't really saved. You know, if you've not been regenerated, you've not repented, 
You have to check up because here he says that they, they were never part of us or they would have stuck with us. When you meet people and they say, oh, I'm saved, tell me about it. Oh, I was saved when I was 15 years old. Uh, yeah, and I got baptized. I went to church with uh, mom and them. That's my mom and them. And uh, they, they say, oh, I went to church and you know, all that. And then you say, well, what's, what's been going on? Oh, I haven't been to church in 30 years. Do you read your Bible? No, I don't read my Bible. I just kind of given up on it. And you look at their lifestyle, there's no evidence of fruit. Folks, I'm telling you, we need to make sure that we've repented and trusted Jesus. It's not some little simple prayer you repeat after your Sunday school teacher. In fact, we will continue to lead kids through that sinner's prayer. That's our duty, but we all understand. That kid has to understand he's lost. And that kid has to understand that he's given his life to God. And there's no turning back, no turning back, right? And so John says if they truly were part of us, they would have stuck by the stuff. In verse 43, back to our text, says here, and they continued steadfastly, verse 43, and fear came upon every soul. This is the word phobos, a serious fear. The word souls, the word psycho, the word psychology comes from that. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. They have seen so many things. I mean, all these people, 15 plus, were preaching in, their own, in, the, in, in language they had never studied, translating. And here all these people are hearing the gospel in these other languages and miracles are being done. And great fear came upon the church. Ralph Carlyle said, fear of God exceeds all cowardly fear. They were awestruck. Wow, God is real. God is real. Can you imagine when Jesus comes back the second time? The rapture takes place, the tribulation hits. Seven years later, he comes back. The fear, people are going to see him coming down and they're going to shake. Wow, every eye, the Bible says, will see him. Fear is going to cover this world because here he is. And they've rejected him. Think of that, the fear. Here there's great fear. They realized how awesome he was, how awesome he was. Verse 44, they had all things in common. And that's word down in verse 46 talks about being in one accord. They had harmony, love that. Here they are, they're praying, they're, they have fellowship, they're taking the Lord's Supper, there's teaching scripture. What does that result in? Unity, harmony. There's nothing better than the Word of God to bring people together. And in verse 45, they had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. In 432, you can put that up there, Kenneth. It tells us that people, again, sold their properties and their lands and, and gave everything to the church to take care of the needy. Think of that. Talk about giving sacrificially. I don't know. I mean, if God spoke in an audible voice and said, sell your house and put it in the offering plate, not the house, the money from the house, uh, I would think, oh, Lord, that's not fair. They did it. They, they really believed God. Yeah, we don't really believe God. You know, I'll open up the storehouse of heaven and pour out such a blessing you won't be able to handle it. How many times do we just kind of gloss over that and not really think about that. The Bible promises great blessings from heaven if we give. Luke says, give and it will be given unto you. If we really believe that, we'd, we'd be givers. Some have cirrhosis, not of the liver, but of the giver. 
you know, that we really would give if we really believe God at his, at his word. And I don't know you're giving and maybe you give like that, praise God. But you really believe the word of God, then you give. Communion says what's mine is yours and, they've, and, and, and someone voluntarily gives. Communism says what's yours is mine and will force you to give up what's yours. But eventually we know they had a problem with laziness in the church. Some people said, well, church is taking care of my needs. I just won't work. In Thessalonians, Paul says, if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. Isn't that something? That's a powerful thing to say, isn't it? Now, if you say that and you, you preach that and it gets out on YouTube, which my sermons are out on YouTube, someone will probably say, complain and say, he's saying that children shouldn't be fed and women shouldn't be fed and handicapped people, we shouldn't care for them. Did I say that? No, I said men. Able-bodied men. I didn't say handicapped people. I didn't say children. Able-bodied men need to work, period. God ordained that the man would work and take care of the needs of the household. And if you don't, you're worse than an infidel. That's what scripture says. God said it. Don't get mad at me. He said it. If you don't work and provide for the needs of your household, men, you're worse than an infidel. Now, if your wife works, that's gravy. That's fine. The virtuous woman worked. But lazy men usually don't do anything for God. They don't provide for the family. What good are they to the church? And so hard work is continually admonished in Scripture. So the Bible says in verse 46, they continued daily. They just, they just kept at it. Verse 46, and they continued daily with one accord in the temple. Still going to the temple. Breaking bread. Notice the small groups. They go from house to house. Hey, there's nothing wrong with starting Bible studies. I love that. In the early church, they had small groups. They met in homes. In fact, churches, many of the churches were in homes on the rooftop, some under the roof, and they would meet and praise God. Just, just think of how we've lost the importance of small groups. You know why we don't like small groups? We don't want accountability. You know, I was a member of a mega church growing up, but they had ways of making you accountable. But I know, you know, you can go into to a mega church and you can really just hide not know anybody, move around, not get connected, no accountability. You can miss a Sunday. Nobody knows because you're in a different section each week. You can do that. But you know what? You're not pleasing God. You're not pleasing God. Nowadays, you look out, there's a smorgasbord of churches. I mean, you can go, if you want entertainment, it's out there. You can go to any kind of church you want. But the early church was built on the preaching of God's word. I love Awanas, but they didn't have an Awanas program. I love quartets, but you'll never see a monument to a quartet in Scripture. I love them. I love our music. I, I love testimonies. I love it all. But when you study the church, they were built on preaching of the gospel. Folks, we've got to get back to the fundamentals, the preaching of the gospel. We'll keep our music, amen. We'll keep praising the Lord. But we have to remember the word of God has to be preached. So here they are. And now yeah, they're, they're, they're still in the temple. And 50 years later, they're still going to the temple. That transition period lasted close to 100 years. John was still alive in 95 AD writing scripture. And they're going and they're, and they're taking the Lord's Supper. You don't have to be a pastor to take communion. You don't have to be a pastor to baptize someone. Hey, they're winning souls. They're baptizing them. They're meeting in homes. They're sharing scripture. Praise God. They're doing everything right but they're added to the church that were saved daily. Notice, added to the church daily such as should be saved. 
You know, uh, thinking about this world, we were talking about a few moments ago, I've got a note here. The word separate means, horizon is the Greek word, which is horizon. It means to get away from the world. If you're too closely connected to the world, you need to get away and separate. If you're like the world, we'll notice it. I, I, I've always known when people, you know, when I was a young guy and I was in the world, people could recognize it in my life. Trying so hard to be accepted in the world and be the coolest guy in, in junior college and doing all these things, it's all just an attempt to be accepted by people who really don't love you anyway. The world will just use you and spit you out. And so we need to realize we need to separate. And, and we close with this idea of repentance going back to the initial verse, repent. Repent. A direct commandment. Love this illustration, Andrew Jackson. Peter Cartwright, a famous preacher, preached over 12,000 times. Or, excuse me, I got that all wrong. I'm not reading, I'm thinking, which is bad when I think. Cartwright baptized over 12,000 people during his ministry. He was a circuit rider preacher, went around on a horse and preached in Tennessee and Kentucky. In 1830, he was preaching in Washington, D.C. The pastor and the other church leaders in the church heard that Andrew Jackson was coming to attend the church service. They were excited about his visit and didn't want to offend him, so they pulled Cartwright aside and said... You know, the president's coming here on Sunday, and we uh, know that can be difficult, uh, so tone it down just a bit. We don't want to upset the president. Sure, he said. And then he said when he stood up to preach, he said, I understand the president of the United States, Andrew Jackson, is with us this morning. I have been asked to guard my remarks, but in truth, Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he doesn't repent. <laughs> I love that. Isn't that what the word says? And without repentance, you're going to hell. And the pastor and the church leaders were appalled at, at him for, for saying that. But when the service was over, Andrew Jackson grabbed Cartwright's hand and shook it and said, if I had an army of men like you, we'd easily win the war. You know what? Stand. Stand. Stand for the word of God in this world. That's how you make a difference in the lives of people. Standing. Standing. And if I told someone, and I joke about this, if I ever quit preaching the word and I start to compromise, I hope somebody takes me out behind a woodshed and doesn't whip me, but just shoots me. Get it over with. Because only what's done for Christ will last. And if you don't stand for God, you're nothing. You're nothing but a compromiser. The world's pulling at you. Young people, I know I pick on them sometimes, but the world's going to be after them and after them and after them and after them. In my life, I know the first battle I had was with the world. From 12 till 19, I gave into the world. Finally got right with the Lord. Yesterday, I had a call from a friend of mine who I'd led to the Lord in my teenage years. He said, I remember when you got right with the Lord. And he told me you weren't hanging around me anymore. There's two of them that, that remember that, that situation. But the world was, was pulling on me hard. And you know what? The flesh, you'll never get rid of. I told the kids Sunday night or Wednesday night, I said, you know, they, they love the sermon, get rid of the fat guy, you know, about Eglon and Ehud, and we talked about that Wednesday. But I have news for you. We never get rid of this old flesh until the rapture. Your sinful body is strapped on you, and there's no getting rid of it. It'd be great if we could have a one-time experience and get rid of the fat guy and lock him out of our lives, but guess what? 
Doesn't work that way. And I'm not, I know the preachers pointed out at the youth conference. It's day by day dying to old Dan and letting new Dan win. Folks, you got to die daily to your old sinful nature. It'll never leave you nor depart from you. But God never leaves you either. He's in there. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, I don't know hearts here today. I know that there may be someone here who doesn't know Jesus, has never repented, is depending on the wrong thing for their salvation. Maybe they're depending on some good works or the fact that they were immersed in some water or that they remember repeating a prayer after someone, but they don't recall regeneration. They don't recall repentance and remission. And they maybe never experienced it. And Lord, I don't want anyone to doubt their salvation if they're saved. But Lord, if there's anyone here who's not saved, I know the Holy Spirit can just say to them right now, you're not saved. Because he still speaks to our hearts. And if that's the case, help them to come. And Lord, if there's anyone here who says, I'm living in the world and I've been compromising and I, I'm just living the wrong way, help them to come. Help them to come. And maybe some that have given into the flesh all week need to come and say, oh, Lord, help me. Help me day by day to die to my old nature. Maybe someone needs to come for baptism or church membership. Lord, this is your time. We just pray you bless.